Hey guys, it's Mandy. Before we dive into this week's episode, I want to take a minute to thank my patrons. You are the ones making this possible. You are the ones keeping restorative grief, both on the airwaves and in the lives of people who need grief support and a better understanding of how to support themselves through their losses. So if you're interested in joining us, you can visit my website, mandykapehart.com, for all the links to check out the premium episodes and premium content that are available to you by becoming a patron. Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. You are listening to episode 50, titled From Numb to Now. Learning to become present as we grieve is no small thing. The coping mechanisms we embrace as we grieve are tools to keep us safe. They protect our whole selves from the onslaught of overwhelm, and in the meantime, we do our best not to moralize them. They're made for protection, and self-defense is one of the biggest reasons we act, think, and feel the way we do through loss. But as we progress through our grief story, we are invited to move differently. As we learn to become present, we also learn to engage new techniques that allow our initial coping mechanisms and safety behaviors to fall away, making room for the presence of mind, body, emotion, and connection to the world around us that just might be the very thing to bring us back to life again. So this week, we are going to gently explore the ways we might have over-identified with our pain, suffering, sorrows, and grief, and hopefully we will learn at least one way to bring ourselves from the familiar numbness to the present now moment. As you listen this week, I want you to remember I'm not trying to take away or destroy any of the coping mechanisms you have used faithfully to remain safe. You have cultivated a sense of psychological safety throughout your grief process, and I want you to acknowledge and express gratitude toward those coping mechanisms and the way you have navigated through your loss. You deserve gratitude because you have done the very thing that many could not do for you. You've kept yourself as safe as possible. It can be really difficult to recognize this, which is why I don't want to gloss over it. I need you to remember that through all of this grief work, you have demonstrated incredible emotional courage. This is the type of growth we often overlook in others, and I don't want us to do the same for ourselves. You may believe that you currently operate from a position of fear, distress, self-protection, or emotional pain. And I'll remind you that it is entirely natural to want to avoid emotional pain, and when you grieve, it's nearly impossible to avoid. However, you must remember that without fear, courage cannot exist. It's pithy, I know, but it's true. Emotional courage is a kind of quiet bravery, often disregarded as disconnection, introversion, fear itself, and many other judgments we level against ourselves and others. So as we work to dismantle coping mechanisms that no longer serve us, remember to celebrate and acknowledge the progress you have made from day one of your grief story. You may not know exactly when it all began, but you do know when it began to feel very real. This is our opportunity to pull back any covers of denial in the areas where we have protected ourselves and invite healing so that we can learn again how to feel with intention and compassion for our stories. No one really wants to live in a constant state of numbness. We simply want to avoid feeling distress or pain. 
Unfortunately, in order to feel no distress or pain, we would need to find a way to feel nothing at all. I get the sense many of us could say that we truthfully feel nothing most of the time, except maybe anger. Even joyfulness is hard to access when you are busy numbing uncomfortable emotions because our emotions are intertwined. Without our ability to feel grief or loss, we are also unable to feel and express joy, hope, and love. We may even believe that our numbness invalidates our worthiness to be loved or participate in relationships around us. And this is where we can become best friends with the numbness. This is the place that we begin to over-identify with our stories of loss, allowing misery to become our identity. We may not articulate that we are only a ball of pain all the time, (laughs) but if we were to take a step back and observe ourselves, examining how we show up for ourselves and the world around us, it would be pretty easy to see signs pointing toward misery, sorrow, and disconnection. The restorative grief model I developed works to recognize our whole selves. That means as we move through grief work, we are working to bring alignment and attention and compassion to our thoughts and minds, our emotions and our heart, our somatic feelings and our bodies, and to our spirits in the way we connect with ourselves, others, our community, and our experience of God or spirituality. So how can we begin to use this understanding of who we are as humans, this whole self concept, to recognize areas of disconnection and move toward ourselves again in a way that disarms the numb and brings us into the present now moment? It's a big question. And frankly, (laughs) there are a lot of ways we can approach it. But for today, I want to address how we express our emotions and how we identify what we're feeling so that we can break through any blocks or defensive walls that we might have established, keeping us from feeling our feelings. If you're new around here, you may not be familiar with the concepts we speak somewhat frequently of known as cognitive distortions. A cognitive distortion is simply a way of thinking about life or self that is an internal filter. A cognitive distortion is simply a way that we think about life or self that is an internal filter and bias, and it distorts how the world around us looks or seems. These cognitive distortions are thoughts that typically feed our misery, affirming that our worst fears are true, increasing our anxiety, and generally making us feel really terrible about ourselves and our prospects in life. In this instance, we're going to address the cognitive distortion known as emotional reasoning. Emotional reasoning is basically deciding that a statement or a idea is a fact. We feel it, and so it must be true. We often engage these as should statements or ought to do them statements. It asserts that our emotions are facts and we cannot separate our sense of self from any emotions that we experience because they're real and it's who we are. When you take this cognitive distortion and apply it to my story, you can see places where in the past I would express feeling so brokenhearted that I believed I would remain brokenhearted over the loss of my mom for the rest of my life. I remember it even as young as 13 when my grandfather passed. I began approaching every relationship presenting a broken heart as part of the deal for being connected to me. And this cognitive distortion is vital to address because we all do this. If we feel worthless, we will believe and act as if we are worthless. If we feel rejected, we will act accordingly. In some cases, actually in most cases, Our coping mechanisms will manifest in an aggressive way to reject others before they reject us. They will partner 
with the cognitive distortion, allowing it to be protected while keeping us at a distance from ever being able to see that we've partnered with this lie about our identity and who we are. This is where we are going to start challenging this emotional reasoning, this cognitive distortion, and the quote-unquote facts that they present. It may be true that we can point to a time in our lives that we were rejected or pushed aside or worthless or treated that way. Maybe in a time frame of our grief story, we can name a handful of individuals who walked away from us because things were just too hard or they couldn't handle being a part of our pain or our story. But this doesn't mean we are worthy of rejection. It means we experienced rejection and have internalized it to the point that it is now driving the narrative that somehow we've earned additional experiences of rejection. So in order to become present rather than hiding behind a coping mechanism or agreeing with these cognitive distortions, we have to get really honest with ourselves. So we are going to take these emotional distortions and put them on trial. Typically, we lean on coping mechanisms because somewhere along the way, our thoughts confirmed that they were the most meaningful and least resistance methods of moving through our loss. The truth is, intentional movement through loss is where we find what is meaningful and experience healing for ourselves, what that means to us. So I want you to think of a feeling you experience often that maybe, just maybe, you have over-identified with. This emotion is going to be something that you recognize has prevented you from experiencing a more helpful or healthier expression of a positive or comfortable emotion in your life. For example, The expression of gratitude in my life is often stunted by an experience of accusation or judgment against myself or others. The way we combat uncomfortable emotions is by recognizing, first of all, that they are just information. They are not our identities. That can be really painful to recognize and move through if a lifetime of identifying with emotion is part of your story. And it's, that's most of us that we really experience our emotions so viscerally that it can be damn near impossible to separate the two. So if that is you, feel free to simply listen to this episode as recognition that the tools exist. Try them out when you're ready. And when you're ready, remember they're just an experiment. They're not a solution that works for everyone. So this is just an exercise. Sometimes exercises are great. Sometimes they're tedious and annoying and make us angry. And it's okay if you don't want to do it. But I really, as a coach, I really hope you'll try. So anyway, moving on, we're going to put cognitive distortions on trial. We are sincerely trying to prove them wrong because they are preventing us from moving into healthy action of radical acceptance that yes, this emotion is real, but it is not an all-encompassing truth and it will pass. Putting an emotion or a thought on trial is simply what it sounds like. We're going to play pretend in a courtroom and fill the role of prosecutor, defense attorney, and judge. We're trying to prove wrong the idea that our negative emotions or stories of suffering define who we are. So start with the defense. What evidence do you have of a factual story that your negative emotions are responsible for the fullness and definition of who you are? As the prosecutor, what evidence can you present that any facts that say, hey, this is who I am, are challenged? How can you create doubt for the jury? that your identity is limited and defined fully by your experience of negative emotions. And as the judge, after you've seen and heard evidence from both sides, 
How would you rule in this case? Who would you side with? If you're not sure, or if you think the defense has a solid case, I want you to pause and take a step back from your story because it is rare that the defense is correct in this instance. So spoiler alert, I guess, but do this work for yourself. And maybe this would be a little more accessible if you're struggling, if you consider someone else that you care about going through the same process, maybe think through it on their behalf and see what comes up. And remember, you have emotional courage simply from enduring the ongoing trauma and loss in your life. So doing this isn't designed to create emotional courage. This is to remind you that you have a great well of emotional fortitude within you. This is your season to use that emotional courage to stir up hope, even when it seems fully lost, because you're here listening right now. And that is a fact for your prosecutorial team as you prove that you are capable of healing and present-mindedness. You are practicing simply being present with your emotions here and now rather than longing for it to be different. This is a practice of radical acceptance that allows you to experience your emotions instead of identifying with your emotions. And in doing so, you will gain a little bit of distance from sadness, anxiety, anger, helplessness, and guilt associated with grief. We can experience the emotions and use them as information to drive our decisions and how we move through our life. And that, my sweet friends, is what it looks like to become present amid the pain. Thank you for listening to episode 50 of Restorative Grief. I hope this exercise of putting your thoughts on trial doesn't seem too arbitrary or silly. Sometimes coaching techniques can be a little hokey, but I promise when you put your thoughts on trial, you will gain distance and perspective. Those are two things we really struggle to find when we're grieving because everything is very visceral and thick and immediate and difficult to see through. So give this a shot. Maybe invite someone to go through it with you and see what you both come up with. Speaking of inviting a friend, I cannot believe you, my friends, have been here for 50 episodes. I'm I'm so grateful and kind of in awe. And yes, of course, there are more than 50 episodes because of the Patreon paywall. But nonetheless, I want to celebrate by giving away a copy of my book. So to enter, share this episode on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook and tag me. Make sure that I see it. I'll respond. I will announce the winner in the October 16th episode credits, so be sure to listen and find out if it's you. And then, of course, once that episode is live, I'll tag you on social media as well. As always, there are are links in the show notes for any concepts we talked about in this episode, as well as a link to the Patreon if you want to join, the Restorative Grief Project if you want to join, and all the other places I've created opportunities. Opportunities? (laughs) going to leave that there. I don't care. All the other things you can do to engage restorative grief and help create a psychologically safe community that's vibrant and inviting for grievers like you. Because we together are learning what it means to fall apart in a way that we can rebuild and put ourselves back together in our own timing, no matter what anyone around us says, without shoulds or expectations or the elusive search for closure. <laughs> this is all here because of listeners like you. So thank you. And one last thing, please remember the only solution for grief 
is to do the work of grieving. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.